right. Good morning, everybody. You have your Bible with you? Good. Hebrews chapter 13 is where you need to go. If you don't have a Bible with you, grab one, please, from the pew rack right in front of you. Turn to Hebrews chapter 13 so you can follow along as we study God's Word together. Last week, I uh, was not here. I enjoyed some time outside uh, chasing trout with uh, some family who were like friends and some friends who were like family, and it was just really good. It was good uh, to get away. I missed you guys, though, and I'm glad to be back. You probably don't know this, but today is my ninth anniversary as pastor at First Baptist Church Harrisburg. It's really good. It's really good to have been here that long and to look forward to coming back when I'm away. Uh, I don't know that every pastor enjoys that kind of uh, ministry, that kind of relationship with his church, but I, I consider myself blessed, privileged um, to be away and to be looking forward to coming, coming back. I am still very glad to be here, uh, to be serving the Lord with you, alongside you, to be serving you as I serve the Lord, um, and to be raising my family here in Harrisburg. It's, it's a good thing. It's, it's a really good thing, and um, I'm glad for all of that. Uh, while I was away, Brad preached to you, and he preached from Hebrews chapter 13, a few verses before what I'm going to talk about today. He talked about the sacrifices of the new covenant. And he said that no longer do we offer bulls and uh, goats and pigeons, praise the Lord for those kind of things, right? Uh, we no longer do that. But we do have sacrifices to offer. And particularly, the text points out that we offer our worship and our work as sacrifices unto the Lord. And, and my prayer and my hope is that we will be a people, a group of people whose lives are marked by worship and work. That we are a worshiping and working, a worshiping and serving people, all for the glory of God. Well, this week we come to a text uh, that I could only describe as awkward. In fact, that is the word of the day at First Baptist Church, awkward. Uh, we talked this morning uh, in Sunday school about giving, awkward, especially if you're the pastor teaching a Sunday school class and you talk about giving. Uh, today, the text in Hebrews chapter 13 is also awkward, uh, but it is not difficult to understand. And I want to be clear about that right from the beginning. This text is not difficult to understand, uh, but it is difficult to preach sometimes, and it is often difficult to hear. So today, we want to be slaves to the text, and we want to approach the text with a posture of submission to God's Word. And in order to do that, we're going to need to be swimming upstream of the cultural current of our day the cultural current of our day that is skeptical about any kind of talk about submission, that is skeptical about any kind of power or authority being over us. We just don't like these things. And we are, we are skeptical of those who are in any kind of power. Uh, I read several commentaries about this text, and, and nearly everybody talked about this right at the beginning and uh, talked about the culture that we live in being opposed to these kind of words. In fact, um, N.T. Wright says it like this. This will be on the screen. He says, the present mood of Western society in which all authority seems suspect and all power is assumed to corrupt people gives an extra excuse to people who want to do their own thing rather than submit in any way to what anybody else says. So just be aware of that as we go into the text today. Your culture, the society that we live in, is going to give you an extra excuse today to say, I don't like that kind of talk. I don't want anybody standing up and saying, obey me, submit to me. We just don't like that kind of stuff. But I'm telling you, Satan is going to try to use your cultural context to oppose the word of God today. 
He's got an instrument in place to oppose God's word today, and he's going to work it into your life as much as he can. So we've got to be ready to resist that. N.T. Wright, also at the beginning of his commentary on this section, talked about having a conversation with a pastor uh, who, who just took a new church, and he described the process of leadership. He said, leading that church is like trying to take a cat for a walk. <laughs> That's an interesting image. John Piper says it this way about this cultural influence. He says, we are Baptists by conviction, and Americans, most of us at least, by the providence of God. Americans, as most humans, have a love affair with individualism and do not like being told to submit to anyone. And Baptists believe in the biblical doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. So we Baptist Americans are prone to be very wary about leadership and the call for submission. Therefore, it is important that we be checked by these passages. I like, I like what Piper does there because he identifies the struggle and he says, we have got to let the scriptures check us. We have got to let the scriptures steer us. I said earlier, we need to put ourselves in the position of slaves to the text and let the text be the ruler uh, in our hearts and in our lives. Charles Spurgeon uh, says it succinctly when he says, we all desire to rule. And we all feel that we could do it far better than the present leaders are doing it. Nailed it, right? In, in fact, it made, that particular quote made me think about this, this uh, hashtag uh, movement that is happening on social media uh, revolving around uh, St. Louis Cardinals baseball, hashtag fire Matheny, right? Like, like, like people who are outside of baseball and don't play baseball or don't know baseball have the authority to say, that guy shouldn't be leading a baseball team. People who have never led a baseball team, right? Are you unfamiliar with this? Am I? Are you guys all Cubs fans? Maybe that's it. You're just all Cubs. <laughs> At least today, you're all Cubs fans, right? All right, so Spurgeon says, we desire to rule, and we all feel we could do it far better than the present leaders are doing it. That is the culture into which God speaks this word today. And so we're going to be swimming upstream as we seek to submit ourselves to it. So this will be tough today, but it is crystal clear. Let's read in the text. We'll start in verse 7. But really, all we're studying today is verse 17. We've already covered 7 to 16. But I want you to see a little bit of context. This is what God's word says. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace and not by foods, through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So let us go out to him, outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Through him, that is Jesus then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name, and do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Here's the verse for today. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Let's pray together. 
Father, as, as we approach your word today, we pray that you will help us to approach it with a posture of submission. We pray that you will give us a willingness to be slaves of the text. We pray that the Spirit will rule in our hearts today and not the culture that we live in. We don't want the culture to rule our hearts today. We want your Spirit, your Word, your presence to rule our hearts today. We pray that you will help us to swim upstream, and we pray that you will make First Baptist Church a healthy church, that you will guide us as we relate to one another as leaders and members, that we will have a healthy relationship and we will dance well together. All for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So only one verse today, but it's a good verse, and it's, it's an awkward verse, and so we're going to look at it as closely as we can. Starting in verse 17, he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. And I think the first question that raises in our hearts and in our minds is, who exactly are these leaders? Who are the leaders that he is calling us to obey and submit to? Well, if you go back to verse 7, you'll remember that there, the reference was to those men who had led the church in the past but who had gone on to be with the Lord. If you remember that day, we talked at length uh, in here about Mike Davis and the ways he led this church and taught the word of God to this church and the way he suffered well and died well and is at home with the Lord. Those men had lived well, they had led well, and they had taught well. And that idea of leading and teaching are, are connected uh, in, in a very important way. Like that's where leadership comes from within the church. That's how we lead is by teaching. So he, he says that they led well and they taught well, they suffered well and they died well. And then at the end of that text, the author encourages us to imitate their faith, to be able to identify those leaders who led and taught and imitate their faith. Well, in verse 17, the reference is not to those men who have led, but to those men who are leading, who are currently leading the church, who are preaching the word of God to the people of God. So to cut to the chase, this is me and Joe and Brad here at First Baptist Church. This is the, the leaders. These are the leaders that the text is talking about in our current situation. Myself and Joe and Brad, as we serve as pastors of this church, elders in this church, we are the ones uh, who are the leaders in this church right now. So who are those leaders? leaders? The ones who are leading and teaching the word of God. Second question is, what kind of submission and obedience is called for here? What exactly does the Bible mean when it says obey them and submit to them? Well, the words that are used here are pretty interesting. The first word for obey, um, one scholar refers to as a soft word for obey. Basically, it encourages a uh, good relationship of trust, but still calls for the people to be swayed by their leaders, one scholar says. So it's this idea of, of obeying someone because you trust them. Not, not, not just because they hold a particular office or have a particular title, but because of the relationship, because of the interaction with that person, you obey them because you trust them. This is similar to the way it works in a marriage. Um, Laura uh, doesn't just obey me. Man, this may be treading in dangerous water, right? It's about to get super awkward in here. Um, 
doesn't obey me um, simply because I'm her husband, but because she knows me and loves me and trusts me, right? Similar to the way we obey Christ. Um, Not just because he is Lord and master of all the universe, but we know him. He's proven himself over and over and over, so we have no problem obeying him as he directs us. That's the picture here of obedience. The word for submit is only used, the word behind the English word submit in this verse is only used here in the New Testament. So so we can't go looking for other uses in the New Testament to try to figure out exactly what it means. But the word itself is a picture. It's a picture of uh, someone who occupies a chair, like someone who is sitting in a chair, seeing someone else and saying, I'm going to get out of this chair, I'm going to defer to you, I'm going to yield to you, I'm going to submit to you, and I'm going to give you this chair. That's the picture behind that word uh, submit. So we've got this obedience because of trust and this deference, this saying, I'm going to get out of the way and give you this place. That's the idea of submit. So these are two rich words here, right? And what I want you to see clearly off the bat is what is called for here is not some kind of blanket, blank check, mindless submission, right? It's not blanket, blank check, mindless submission. In fact, if in seven years, you know we're going to have another one of those eclipses in seven years, right? If seven years from now, myself and Joe and Brad tell you that on the day of the eclipse, we're all going to drink some Kool-Aid, just go on to be with the Lord, don't do it. <laughs> just, just, because, just because we're your pastors and we have a certain authority over you, Don't do that. It's not mindless, blanket, blank check submission that the Bible is calling for here. We want want you to receive the words we speak to you and examine the scriptures to see if they are so. There's a passage in Acts chapter 17 where Luke is describing the difference between the church at Thessalonica and the church at Berea. And he says about the church at Berea, he says, they were more noble than the people at Thessalonica in that they received the word with eagerness, examining the scriptures to see if it was so. In other words, the people at Berea had this posture of, yes, teach us, tell me, tell me what the word of God says, but they also accepted their responsibility to filter that through the grid of scriptures so they received the word with eagerness or readiness and they examined the scriptures to see if those things that Paul and others were preaching them were actually true. That's what we want. That's what I want. That's what Joe wants. That's what Brad wants. We want you to receive the things that we teach you with readiness, eagerness. We want you to lean forward in anticipation and say, yes, teach me. But we don't want you to approach it ever mindlessly. We don't want you to ever, we don't want your posture when we're teaching to be sitting back absorbing it like a sponge. We want you to be leaning in and to be ready to examine the scriptures to see if the things that we are teaching you are true. Does it make sense? You're responsible for the things that you hear. I'm responsible for the things that are taught. You're responsible for the things that you hear. Let's be like the church at Berea. We recognize as leaders in this church that our authority, as the Sunday school lesson said so clearly, is borrowed authority. Our authority is borrowed authority. We only stand strong when we stand on the word of God. That's why we preach and teach the way we do. That's why we don't stand up week after week and tell you, I've got some thoughts on cultural matters today that I'd like to share with you. We don't even stand up and say, I want to share my heart with you. That's not the way it goes from this pulpit. We stand up and say what? 
I want to share the Word of God with you. This is what God's Word says. And that is a clear recognition and admission week in and week out that our authority is borrowed authority. We only stand strong when we stand on the Word of God. We want, we want it to be crystal clear at First Baptist Church that God and His Word rule. God and His Word rule here, not Chris and Brad and Joe. God and His Word rule in this place. After we finish our study of Hebrews in a few weeks, we're going to move on to a study of Galatians. So we're going to go from Hebrews to Galatians. And at the beginning of Galatians, Paul who, by the way, was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, who spoke with authority that I could only imagine, right? When that guy spoke, it wasn't like me speaking, right? He was an apostle who spoke with incredible authority. He said something extremely important at the beginning of Galatians chapter 1. Look at it on the screen, verses 6 to 9. Along the lines that we're talking about here, he says to the church in Galatia, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Listen to verse 8. But if we, that is Paul and his apostolic associates, if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. That is powerful, powerful language from a man who spoke with apostolic authority. He said, if I ever come to you and say anything that is out of step with the gospel, I'm to be accursed. I'm to be destroyed and completely put away, right? He says beyond that, even if an angel shows up and says to you something that is out of step with the gospel that has been revealed, he is to be accursed, all right? So here's the point. Don't just trust the preacher because he's the preacher. Don't even trust an angel just because he's an angel if, if the preacher or the angel are out of step with the word of God. This is, this is the clear expectation. Ligon Duncan, as he preached one of his last messages to his church uh, in Jackson, Mississippi, said this. I think it'll be on the screen. If we are out of accord with the word of God, we've got no authority, none whatsoever. And anything that we say that is out of accord with the word of God ought to be rejected out of hand. Right? So, so when we're talking to you about submitting to authority, we're not talking about blind, mindless, blank check submission to our authority. We are talking about in so much as we are in line with the word of God, then you submit to and obey us. Because in doing so, you are submitting to and obeying the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is called for here, when we see it in light of the rest of scripture, is not that blind, mindless obedience, but rather... It is this eagerness to obey, an eagerness and a readiness to obey godly authorities. It is not skepticism. It is not doubt. It is rather a first impulse to trust. And let me also say this. From my perspective, I recognize that that has to be earned. I recognize that that kind of trust, that kind of relationship has to be built 
It has to be earned, and sometimes it happens very slowly. That gaining of that kind of trust and the development of that kind of relationship happens slowly. I also recognize that it can be lost in an instant. Right? So I want you, as much as I'm telling you that, that, that you are called by the text to submit to and obey guys like me, I'm also recognizing that my responsibility in this relationship is quite serious. In fact, that's what the next part of the text really talks about. Look what it says. First, he says, obey your leaders and submit to them. And then he begins to explain why. He says, for they keep watch over your souls. They keep watch over your souls. Now, this language might draw your attention toward two biblical pictures. One is the angels on Christmas Eve, right? What were those guys doing? She I mean, not angels, shepherds. I've even got that wrong in my notes. The shepherds on Christmas Eve, what were they doing? Watching their flock by night, right? They were watching their flock by night. So they were up all night. They were protecting sheep, particularly at night, because that's when predators come around, right? If you're a wolf and you want to uh, attack some sheep and eat some sheep, when are you going to attack? In the middle of the day? No, in the middle of the night. And so the shepherd in the middle of the night is watching over his sheep. He's protecting them. He's also responsible to feed them. He is all the time watching out for them because he is responsible for them. Well, that's the language that's used here. Submit to and obey your leaders as those who keep watch over your souls. The other picture is from Ezekiel chapter 33. And it refers to these watchmen on the wall. And, and, and there's a really interesting bit of divine providence in this. Because if you're reading the ESV study Bible yearly plan, like reading through the Bible on that plan, and several of you are, you read this on Wednesday if you're keeping up. You're keeping up with the reading plan. You read it on Wednesday, Ezekiel chapter 33, where God says, listen, Ezekiel, I'm going to set you up as the prophet. I'm going to set you up like a watchman on the wall. And what does a watchman on the wall do? He tells the people if trouble's coming. And he says, he says, Ezekiel, if you see trouble coming, if you see the sword coming and you don't say anything to the people, you don't warn them about the pain that is coming their way, that is on you. You will be responsible for that. He even uses the language of their blood will be on your hands. He says, however, if you see the trouble coming and you warn the people and they don't listen, it's on them. It's on them. And, and that's part of, part of the comfort and the confidence that I have in preaching the gospel is that it's not my responsibility how you respond to it. I'm a watchman on the wall declaring to you what the Lord has said. If you don't respond to it, you got a problem with him, not with me right? But the design, the whole design of the watchman on the wall is to be able to see things coming and to declare it to the people so that they will be ready. That's the design of what we do here. That's why uh, Brad and Joe and I preach to you and teach to you. We're the watchman on the wall keeping watch and declaring to you what the Lord has said so that you'll respond to it. In fact, I'll, I'll show you in a minute that the greatest joy of a pastor's life is to see his people respond to God's word. That is the fullest joy we experience. Not when you win big ball games or have babies or get married or anything like that, but when you obey God's word, that's the greatest joy. So those two biblical pictures, the Christmas shepherds and the watchmen on the wall. But notice also in this text that we are called to keep watch not just over your bodies and your health, not just over your families and your relationships, 
Not just over your finances and your job or over your calendar and your priorities. No, we keep watch over your souls, your eternal souls. This is a weight that is hard to explain unless you've experienced it yourself. And few have. There may be some comparison between the relationship between a parent and child and the weight and responsibility they feel for their children, but I even think it's different than that. This text teaches that we keep watch over your souls. And in doing so, we experience some serious highs. Man, there, there are some soaring great moments keeping watch over your souls. And we experience some depressing Desperate lows as we keep watch over your souls. But that's the picture that's going on here. So he's inviting you. The text is more than inviting you. It's commanding you to submit to and obey your leaders who are keeping watch over your souls. That's what we're doing. Day and night. Keep it. Paul, Paul at one point talks about all the suffering he's experienced, all the trouble and pain he's experienced. He talks about shipwrecks and beatings and uh, all this trouble. And he says, oh, not to mention the daily burden of the church. In other words, it doesn't go away. Like we don't stop watching over your souls. When we go on vacation, I'll let you on a little secret. We don't forget about you. We can't forget about you. We are called to keep watch over your souls, your eternal souls. Notice also, it gets heavier. He says, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. We don't just do this to fill a resume. We don't just do this to earn a paycheck. No, rather, one day we will stand before the Lord and give an account for our soul watching. That's heavy. It's serious. James chapter 3 Starting in verse 1, this will be on the screen. James says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brothers, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Don't think that any one of us take this position lightly. Don't think that we just stroll up to this pulpit and spout off whatever's on our minds. We appreciate the weight that is carried from this pulpit. Take it very seriously. R. Kent Hughes explains what James chapter 3, verse 1 means when he says this. How and why do teachers incur a, stricter, a greater judgment? The answer is, if we claim to have an informed knowledge of God's word for God's people and further claim that we are charged to deliver it, we are more responsible to deliver it clearly and obey it. I, by virtue of my professed calling and study of God's word, will undergo a stricter judgment than many Christians. This last line is the clearest when he says increased responsibility means increased accountability. Increased responsibility means increased accountability. And I want you to know with certainty that we take that seriously. So the call to submit to and obey your leaders is not a call to submit to and obey some guys who are far off in an ivory tower somewhere. It's to submit to and obey the guys who are watching over your souls and who know they will give an account for their soul watch. It makes it a little easier, right? And then he begins in the next phrase to describe what that looks like. He says, let them do this. Actually, let me stop there and go back a little bit. So this idea of giving an account means that at the end of all of it, we don't ultimately answer to you. 
as to how we did in Soul Watch. We don't ultimately answer to you in how we did in leading and teaching. We ultimately answer to the Lord. In fact, at the end of that passage in Galatians that I read to you, when he says, if I or an angel from heaven preached to you a gospel, gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, let him be a curse, anathema, right? At the very end of that passage, he says, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still striving, striving to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So I guess I, I want to say all that to say, there are times in our leading that you won't be happy. And that's okay. As long as the Lord Jesus Christ is happy. Like that ultimate, we, we want to serve you and we want to serve you well. But our ultimate allegiance is to the Lord. And there will be times because we are fallen and you are fallen that those two things, serving the Lord and serving you, might clash. But we must be committed to serve the Lord and not you above all things. He goes on and says, Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. So the application from the text is to submit to and obey your leaders. Their work is then described and serves as the foundation and motivation for that submission and obedience, right? They keep watch over your souls. They keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Now the author shifts gears and starts to talk about the details of how and why to submit to and obey them. First, he says, do it in such a way that their work will be joyful and not grievous. Do it in such a way that their work of leading and teaching will be joyful and not grievous. I heard a pastor tell a story the other day about dreading a meeting. He was talking about this meeting that was going to happen later in the day and that he woke up in the morning and was just dreading it. From, from, from the moment his feet hit the floor, he was just absolutely dreading it. And as the day went on, his, his anxiety and, and uh, I don't know what, what you would call it, dread of the meeting just continued to grow. Until about two hours before the meeting took place, he was informed that one particular person was not going to be at that meeting. One particular person was not going to be at that meeting, and the pastor said his whole outlook on the whole meeting changed. All of a sudden, he went from dreading and seeking ways, honestly, to avoid the meeting to anticipating it, looking forward to it, all because of one person. What's the moral of that story? Well, there are, a lot, there are lots of morals to that story. But for the sake of this text today and our purpose in this room, here's the moral of the story. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy that your pastors dread. Don't be the guy who takes the wind out of their sails. Don't be the guy who sucks the joy out of the room. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Rather, be the guy that your pastors want to sit down to and talk with for hours at a time. Be the guy that your pastors rejoice to see walk in the room. Be the guy that is helpful and encouraging and speaks the truth even when it's hard in the very best way. You can be one of those two guys. Let me say it this way. You are one of those two guys. Every single one of you are one of those two guys. 
either the one who walks in the room and we go, oh, no. Or shows up on the caller ID. And before a word is even spoken, the day is ruined. You can be that guy. Some of you are that guy. Or you can be the guy that walks in the room and we say, yes. Oh, yes, I'm so glad he's here, she's here. Or your name shows up on our phones and we say, oh, what, it, what is it going to be? What is it going to be this time? Because every time it's good. I'm not saying every time it's easy, but every time it's good. I'm telling you, you are one of those two guys. You need to decide today which kind you're going to be, which guy you're going to be. In John's last letter to his churches, 3 John, which only has one chapter, in verse 4, he says this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children, he's speaking there of spiritual children, are walking in the truth. If you want to make our work joyful, you can, A, not be that guy, right? B, be the guy that puts wind in our sails, and C, do what God's word says. As we instruct you what it says, do what it says, because that fills us up with joy. Notice also in this verse, in this part of the verse, he says, let them do this with joy. That's what we're talking about and not with grief. For this would be unprofitable for you. If, if we are miserable in the work that God has called us to, it's not good for you. And let me tell you, I talk to guys who are pastors of churches, who are miserable. Who would leave if they could leave. And I think that's a downward spiral. Not just for them, but for their people. And this text is saying that if you, if you set your mind to helping us do the work that we've been called to do with joy, it'll be good for you. You will benefit in this. This is not some kind of obedience and submission that pushes you down and makes you miserable. The picture here is a type of obedience and submission that actually builds you up and works for your good in the long run. So I'm not calling you to sacrifice here. The text is not calling you to sacrifice. It's calling you to hedonism. This will serve you. This will bring you delight and joy. If it works that way in the church. And let me say this. It does. Generally speaking here, that's the way it goes. There are exceptions to that, of course. We're all fallen people. But this is the way it goes at First Baptist Church. So serve yourself. Serve yourself by doing this. And being obedient to what God's word says. John Piper summarizes this verse. It'll be on the screen when he says this. Hebrews 13, 17 means that a church should have a bent toward trusting its leaders. You should have a disposition to be supportive in your attitudes and actions toward their goals and directions. You should want to imitate their faith, and you should have a happy inclination to comply with their instructions. A happy inclination to comply with their instructions. So here's the application today. There are several. Number one, pray for us. I want to invite you, as Paul often invited his people Pray for us. 
pray for us to, to keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account is difficult. You may, some of you hear me say that and you're like, yeah, right, difficult. You work one day a week for just a couple of hours and all you do then is talk. Get a difficult job. Come do my job. I would. I would switch with any of you to have your eyes opened to what this looks like, to watch over souls, souls that are eternal, as one who will give an account for that soul watching. So pray for us. Pray for us because this work is difficult. Pray for us because we are targets of the enemy. Satan's goal is to take out the church, right? He wants to destroy the work of the church, don't you think? And if his mission is to destroy the work of the church, who do you think he's after first, foremost, most hotly pursuing? The leaders of the church, right? Because if he can take one of us out, the ripple effect goes far and wide from that. He's after you too, don't get me wrong. He's, a, he's prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He especially has a taste for pastors though and would love to take us out. To so pray for us. Pray for us because we are called to have exemplary families. Like part of the job requirement is to have exemplary families. That's pressure. And he's at, Satan's after our families too. So pray for us because we need help. Not just from you. That's what this, this text is a lot about you helping us. But we need more than just your help in the work we've been called to. We need the Lord's help. So pray for us. Number one, pray for us. Number two, listen to us. Listen to us. And, and I mean that, I chose that word carefully. Not hear us, because you all hear us. If you're in the room, you hear us. You can't help but hear us. You can't avoid hearing us. That doesn't mean you're listening. And what I'm talking about when I talk about listening is leaning in working a little bit, not sitting back like a sponge, hoping that something might just soak in, but leaning in, looking for what you can pick up. And not just leaning in and listening carefully, but examining the scriptures to see if these things are so. Taking responsibility not to be a mindless follower, but to be a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be Berean in your approach to preaching, to be Berean in your approach to Bible study. I'm inviting you to listen, to lean in, actively listen. You know the difference, right? If you're married, you know the difference between hearing and listening. Listening is active and takes energy. Hearing is passive. I'm asking you to listen to us. Third, submit to and obey your leaders. Submit to and obey your leaders. This is not an easy thing. Ah, hear me clearly. It's not an easy thing to stand up in front of a few hundred people and say, submit to us and obey us. It's, it's awkward. But it's clear in the scriptures that that's the expectation. That is the imperative in this passage. Submit to and obey your leaders. Not mindlessly, not blank check, but with a gladness and a willingness. With a predisposition to yes. So sometimes, sometimes in marriage counseling, we talk about having the yes on the table. Like within our marriage, we need to have a yes on the table. Like whatever the, whatever the issue is, it's a yes. 
That's how I love my wife. It's a yes. It's on the table. Now, sometimes we're going to talk about it a little bit before the yes is picked up, right? But the yes is on the table. It's not a no. In fact, that's, the, that's kind of the next application, is I want us all to examine our hearts. Because if you find yourself constantly at odds with godly biblical leaders in the church... Being careful with language here. If you find yourself constantly at odds with godly biblical leaders in the church, there are some serious problems somewhere, potentially in your own heart. If your engagement with the leaders at First Baptist Church, who are not new leaders, by the way, we're not some flash-in-the-pan, fly-by-night guys who have shown up and will be gone tomorrow. This is unusual in a Baptist church to have a, staff, a pastoral staff that has been here as long as we've been here. You, you know the average stay for a pastor in a Southern Baptist church is just to tick over three years? You can't even get to know somebody in three years, can you? If your constant engagement with leaders here is always a no, I don't care, when we open our mouths and start to talk, if your immediate inclination is, I'm against it. I don't even know what it is yet, but I'm against it. If that's your posture, something's wrong. Really wrong. And it may be wrong with us, or it may be wrong with you. But we need to all examine our hearts to be careful that we have the right approach and engagement with godly, biblical leaders in the church. The sixth application, I'm going to talk more about tonight. Come back tonight, and I'm going to talk to you about how this picture of Hebrews 13, 17, submit to and obey your leaders, fits in a congregationally ruled fellowship. What do you mean, what do you mean submit to you and obey you, Chris? I've got as much boat in this church as you do. You're right. When it comes to authority and decision-making... You have as much vote in this church as I do. But that doesn't mean this text doesn't apply here. And I'm going to try to talk to you tonight about how pastoral-led congregationalism is actually the biblical model of church polity. It's actually the biblical model of how the church is supposed to function. Where we lead and you follow. And it's a beautiful dance. In fact, that's the way, that's the way I titled this last one. Let's dance. Man, it's Baptist. You're so Baptist in here. <laughs> like, I don't like that. Let's dance. I'll lead. You follow. It'll be a beautiful thing. There will be occasions where we'll get out of step, and it's not going to be perfect. But I believe what we see in the New Testament, particularly in the book of Acts, is the, 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 the apostles, the leaders, leading, and the people gladly following. And let me, just, let me just go ahead and say this. That's what I feel like happens here at First Baptist Church. At least in the season that we're in right now, we're dancing pretty well. We hear the music clearly. We're in tune with each other. You're not stepping on my toes. I'm not stepping on yours. We're dancing pretty well, and that's a good thing. Let's continue to do that. So we're going to talk about that tonight, about what that dance looks like. Now, all of this assumes that we are connected because of the gospel. All of this assumes that we have this relationship because of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're not, you're not following Jesus, trusting in Jesus for your salvation, 
I do not expect you to submit to or obey any of us. The first step is come to Jesus. Trust in Jesus and be safe. Then we'll start talking about what our relationship looks like, okay? That's step number one, and maybe that's the step you need to take today. Not about, not about submitting or obeying or making our work a joy, but about trusting in Christ for salvation. Let's stand together and pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is clear. But we ask for your help in obeying it. We recognize that we live in a culture that recoils against this. But we don't want to recoil against it. We want to submit ourselves to your word. So we pray that you teach us what it looks like to listen to, submit to, and obey leaders in the church. Help us to know what it looks like to make their work joy and not burden. And teach us this ultimately is for our good and for your glory. This is the design and we want to follow it and we need your help to do that. I want to pray for men and women and boys and girls in this room who are not part of this dance because they don't know you. They're not trusting in Christ and repenting of their sins. I pray today that you'll invade their lives and change them forever by your grace. That you'll teach them about sin and judgment and about the cross, sacrifice and substitution. And that you'll give them faith to believe and repentance to turn. In Christ's name we pray.